back to Bad on Paper podcast. I'm Grace Atwood. And I'm Becca Freeman. And today is book club. We read, this month we read If I Had Your Face by Frances Cha. And I feel like the second that we, like, I think that like maybe 30 pages into this book, we were both like, we need to make this our book club pick. There's so much to talk about. And it was a book unlike any other book I've ever read. Yes, I agree. And so we're recording this. We just finished recording a bonus episode with the author, Francis Cha, and that's going to drop tomorrow. But we we both marveled over how this book was kind of not on our radar at all. We actually had thought it was an April 2021 book, and it turns out it came out last April. It just, we both totally missed it. Yeah. So I'm so glad that we're looping back to give it the hype it deserves. Yes. But before we dive in, this episode is brought to you by Night. Night is the makers of our favorite pillow and the face mask that we can't stop raving about. But today we're talking about the dual-sided skincare pillowcase. We have an exclusive offer for Bad on Paper listeners. So if you head to discovernight.com, you can buy one skincare pillowcase and get the second one for free with code BOP. What a deal. Yes. So before we get into book club, Grace, let's talk about us. Let's talk about us. What's your high? Oh, Becca, Becca, you are such a good friend. Becca oh, did something you. really nice. Um, so I don't really have a lot on my leaving New York bucket list. I mean, I would probably have a much longer list if it was olden times. But there's, you know, we have our a few favorite restaurants that we go to. But there's nothing I've been super excited about except for one thing, which was going to Lilia. I've actually never been to Lilia ever, and um. I've always wanted to go, but they, they're they doing this thing during quarantine where they have these really beautiful um, winter yurts. And each year, I think it's like four people. It, it, there's only 10 of them, so it's really hard to get a reservation. You literally have to, I think, call them at 10 a.m. a month out. Is that the is that the key? No, I, um, I did it on Resi, and reservations open. I can't remember if it's 28 days, so four weeks, or if it's 30 days. It okay. says it on there, but um, I did it exactly – 30 days in advance and I I couldn't get it on a weekend I could only get yeah Wednesday was the best I could do well we went with Rachel um our friend Alex was supposed to come too but Alex had horrible food poisoning so it was just the three of us the food was incredible it lived up to like everything I expected it's such a treat if you guys um live in in Brooklyn or the city I can't recommend it enough um so that happened and then yesterday I got the samples for my Amazon Drop Staples collection. Which and so what does Staples mean? Staples are different from the drops because the drop, it um, it launches at a certain time. You get a text message and then it's only available for 30 hours. It's usually very trend driven. So they really push you to do like a lot of prints and patterns and maybe like things that are like a little more out there. For the Staples, they want it to be a bit more classic. They want um, it goes on the site and it ships immediately. So you don't have to wait two or three weeks to get it. Like you get you like Amazon Prime it. It comes, I don't know, the next day or two days later or whatever. Um, but theoretically it's available for, not forever, but for, for an extended yeah. time. And it stays on the site for a while. So, I mean, they could sell out and not have any, but generally it's it's not made to order. So the quantities are bigger and they it's available for, it could be, it could be a week, it could be a month, it could be three months. But um, they came out wildly better than I could have even anticipated. But you're not allowed to tell us when it launches, right? I'm not. I never am. I will say I might get in trouble. It's before I leave for Charleston. Okay. So there's three styles, and each style is available in three colors. There's only one printed thing. There's a really fun green printed maxi dress. Um, We brought back the big um, caftan that I did for the first drop, um, but we made it so much better. The new fabric is... It's considerably thicker, and it also is less wrinkle. It's more wrinkle resistant. So I don't know. I loved the green one, but I did feel like, you know, you you sit down and you have a martini, and the next thing you know, you've got those, like, lap wrinkles. Mm-hmm. This That doesn't happen with this one. And then there's two other, like, really cute dresses, and I just think they're, like, perfect summer basics. The colors are so good. Like, there's a French blue, and I really wanted to have a blue dress, and – but sometimes blue just can look like not good or it can look really cheap unless it's like navy blue. It's like the perfect blue. We also have a navy blue. There's one dress in emerald green, which is like the perfect. So wait, there's four dresses. Three dresses. Three dresses. And how many colors do they come in? Each come in three. But there's oh, okay. there's different ones. So okay. one comes in black, 
blue and red. One comes in gr a green pattern and navy blue and red. And then one comes in white, French blue, and emerald green. I don't think I know what French blue is. It's right there on the – it's like a – it's like not royal blue. It's like royal blue if you added a little black to it. But okay. not navy blue. I'd say it's between royal blue and navy blue. So it's not quite um, – this sounds like – sorry if this is annoying you guys. It's like in between the – Google French yeah, blue. It's a beautiful color. <laughs> Can't recommend it enough. If you've got blue eyes, it's going to look amazing on you. Even if you don't. It's going to look amazing on everyone. I'm just so excited um, because the pieces are a lot more simple and classic than some of the other things that we've done, which I like – I like crazy. I love a floor, a, a leopard house dress. Well, it's also exciting that it's ongoing so people can wear it and then, you know, you can talk about it for longer. Like, yeah. you can see how it looks on different people. At, you can get it immediately. It. If the size, if you get the wrong size, you can return it and get the, yeah. the right size. Yeah. It just, it's, it's, it's more, it's more like in the style that I like to work. I mean, I'm, I love working with Amazon and I'll, I'll, I think we're going to do another like classic drop at the end of summer. But this is for me and like my work style, it's a better way. Yeah. Yeah. What's your high? Um, so echoing what you said about Lilia, I think it was the best, most special dining experience I have had since COVID started. Yes. I feel like um, you know, I've had lots of good meals, but I don't know that a lot of them have felt like truly special. And it was a prefix menu. And it was served family style, so you got to try a ton of different things, and you were in your own little yurt, so it felt private and safe. Um, it was really fun. I'm so glad we did it. Yeah. So me that too. was definitely a high. And then my other high is last weekend. So my friend Kyle came to visit, and we didn't do much because it was very, very cold. But over the weekend, I barely checked my email. I feel like because mostly for lack of anything else to do. Like I have been doing some work every weekend and, you know, I'm just attached to my phone mm -hmm. and I truly disconnected. And I I checked my email on Sunday afternoon. So that's why I can't say I didn't check my email. But I was very detached from my phone and it was, it was magical. I, it felt different. I took Sunday and Monday off because it was a long weekend from Instagram. And I just felt like so brand new and shiny afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. What about on the low side? Oh, my God. I'm just really over snow. Um, we – like, I feel bad complaining because of everything going on in the world right now, you know, especially, like, Texas. But the, the snow, it just – it it feels like we're getting more snow than we usually get. We definitely are. I'm, I frankly don't mind it because I'm not going anywhere anyway, so it's something different to look, out at, look at outside my window. I just really, really rely on walks. No, and I know. And we're stuck. Like, I – I um I have drinks tonight with Lindsay Silberman. We're finally becoming in real life friends, and we were like, should we cancel? And then we were both like, we neither of us have like been outside in days. We're like, we kind of need this for our mental health, so we're gonna put put our snowsuits on and track out. Fully support. Yeah, fully support. What's your low? My low is just that I've been really struggling with motivation this week, and yeah. I think part of it is the weather. It feels like cozy reading weather, not like doing stuff weather. Yeah. Part of it is a problem of my own creation, which is or not my own creation, but a problem I brought onto myself, which is the newest book in a Court of Thorns and Roses series came out on Tuesday and it arrived to me on Wednesday. And so it's been a siren song that that's all I want to do is read the book and not do anything productive. You guys, we were at Lilia and we, we I think our reservation was at 530. Is that 515? right? 515. Really leaning hard into the early bird special. And Becca was like, I need to go watch my read my fairy porn. Is that what you called it? No, I called it fairy erotica. Fairy erotica. Sorry, I got it wrong. Fairy erotica. I just like never laughed so hard at, at a term. So, you know. I'm happy for you. Read I'm your, happy for read me. Your fairy erotica. But um, my motivation has just I've been really struggling this week and last week. Like I've read a lot of articles about people hitting a COVID wall. And maybe it's that to like a lesser degree too. But ugh, I've been struggling this week motivation-wise. Yeah. But I guess at the same time, I'm trying to give myself grace that not every week can be one for the books. So. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Should we get into the book? Yes. So we're going to give you a quick, a quick caveat. Oh, we're – Oh, quick plot summary and a quick caveat. So the quick caveat is that the book takes place in South Korea. Um, I 
downloaded the audiobook last night for the sole sake of hearing somebody pronounce the name so that I can try to do it correctly. I um, was on Google on you on doing YouTube Googling all morning. I'm pretty nervous and please be patient with us. Yeah, and just with pronunciations. Know that we are trying even if we are not getting it perfect. Yes. Also, quick tr- trigger warning, if you didn't read this book, uh, there are triggers for miscarriage and suicide. So if that is something that is triggering to you, skip this one. Mm-hmm. So the book. The book follows four girls who all live in the same apartment building in Seoul. Ada lives with Sujin, a friend from her childhood in the provinces. Ada works as a hairstylist at a high-end salon. She's also obsessed with one of the members of a K-pop boy band. Ada is mute after she was beaten by some students at a rival school as a teenager. So then there's Kyori, who lives across the hall from Ada and Sujin, and she works at one of the most expensive room salons in the city. And it's a well-paying job, but she spends most of her income on maintaining her image with daily professional hair and makeup plus plastic surgery upkeep. And the rest she sends home to her mother. Kitty finds out that her boyfriend, who she knows through the room salon, is becoming engaged to his other girlfriend. Meanwhile, Miho lives with Cutie and grew up in Sujin in the Loring Center, which is an orphanage that Miho was sent to after her aunt and uncle abandoned her. She's recently returned to Seoul from New York, where she went to art school. And while she was there, she fell in with a crowd of very wealthy Korean expats, including her best friend Ruby, who eventually committed suicide. Now, Miho is dating Ruby's boyfriend, Hanbin, who is from a very prominent family. And so the fourth girl, Wana, is in her 30s, and she's married and lives below all the girls on a in the same apartment building. And she has had three miscarriages in the past year and is newly pregnant at the beginning of the book. So she's overall skeptical of having a child because of how much it will cost. And she's struggling to hide her pregnancy from her job for fear of repercussions. When her boss finds out that she's pregnant, her boss guilts her into taking a short maternity leave for the sake of the company. And meanwhile, that night when she comes home from work, she finds out that her husband has been lying to her and was fired from his job two months ago. So Kyori is intrigued to see the woman that her boyfriend is marrying. So she goes to the same restaurant the night of their engagement dinner, and her boyfriend is furious. He sends the police to her room salon, so she's brought to the police station, but she's able to talk herself out of the trouble. And meanwhile, Miho finds out that Hanbin is cheating on her, and she hatches a plan to steal the memory card from his dash cam in his car to have proof. But instead of breaking up with him, she decides that she's going to suck everything she can from him. She's going to ask him to buy out her art exhibition. She's going to use him to raise her profile in the press. She's going to like take him for everything he's worth. So then Ada finds out from Cutie that her boy band crush may be at the room salon that night. So Cutie arranges for Ada to be there. But when Ada arrives, him and his group treat her like a spectacle because she's a mute, which is hugely embarrassing, especially after she's worshipped him for all of this time. She ends up leaving in a hurry and she's absolutely crushed. So in the end, Kyori interviews for a job at an esteemed plastic surgery clinic as the manager. Sujin breaks into being a room salon girl just like she wanted. Miho's in the midst of her revenge plan and Ada takes down all of her boy band posters, finally over her crush. And in the final scene, when the girls come home to find Juana on the stoop of their building, she invites them over, which she had said she always wanted to do earlier in the book. So that's kind of what we're working with. Yes. We're going to take a quick ad break to talk about a sponsor. Um, This is not part of the ad, but did you know that Alex got the night pillow? Our other like sorority host member. She texted me this morning and was like, I got the night pillow. What took me so long? It's the best pillow ever. I I was like, duh. I had to share that. Um, But today's episode is sponsored by Knight, which, as you know, is the maker of our all-time favorite pillow. Um, It's the face mask that we can't stop wearing, the eye mask that I wear every night to sleep. And um, you know them, you love them, we love them. But today, we wanted to talk to to you about a new-to-us product, which is their dual-sided skincare pillowcase. So we both love our sleep. We are both eight-plus-hour-a-night people. And if you're going to spend eight hours a night sleeping, that means that you're spending a third of your life asleep, which means your pillowcase is the thing that your face spends the most time in contact with. 
And I never really thought about that before, but your pillow is just important to your skincare routine as any of the lotions and potions that you might put on your face. So this pillowcase has two sides that you can use depending on your skin type and your skin concerns at the moment. Yes. So the first side is made of that 100% mulberry silk that we always talk about. Um, And it's designed for normal or dry skin. So if you're concerned about fine lines, wrinkles, dehydrated skin, or hair breakage, or if you just want to maximize the efficacy of your night cream, this side is the side of the pillow for you. And as we've talked about before, since silk is is non-absorbent, it's going to keep your moisturizer on your face where it belongs instead of it having it being absorbed by your pillowcase. We don't want the Dr. Botter on the pillowcase. We want it on our face. So then the other side is made of 100% rayon from bamboo to wick moisture and oil and help balance normal or oily skin. So if you're concerned about breakouts or skin irritation, then this is the side for you. And also if you're a hot sleeper, it's highly sweat absorbent, which wicks excess moisture away from your skin. Yes. So I feel like we talk so much about all of the lotions and potions we put on our skin, but we don't talk about our pillowcase, which touches our face all night long. And this is just such an easy swap to make. It comes in three colors, white. I think we both have the white. Did you get the white too? Um, yes. Um, it comes in white, which we both have, champagne or gunmetal, and it's machine washable. And if you're ready to try the dual-sided skincare pillowcase, we have an amazing offer just for Bad on Paper listeners. You can buy one skincare pillowcase and get one free. Head to discovernight.com and use code BOP to buy one, get one free. Again, that's discovernight.com and use code BOP to buy one, get one free on the skincare pillowcase. And we'll also link the specific pillowcase in the show notes to make it easy to find. Yes. All right. Let's talk about this book, Grace. Okay. Which girl's story did you find to be the most interesting? Hands down, Curity's story. Absolutely. I was fascinated from page one. Page one is not told from her perspective, but she's in a conversation in it. And I was immediately so fascinated by kind of her being an expert on plastic surgery, by her working in a room salon, which is something I never heard of. And I kind of spent the first chapter or so of the book trying to puzzle out what it was like me too is it a strip club is, is it, it a brothel is it a brothel like what is it yes um and I think it's kind of a flexible definition it mm-hmm. sounds like it's the the seedier ones kind of maybe are a brothel um but the higher end ones are basically just a private bar that men go to and they kind of have their own private room and then there's all of these hot girls who come and pour them drinks and fawn over them. And the girls drink with the guys too. Yes. So you're basically just like so gorgeous that you're paid to drink and hang out with men all night. But there's then there's usually like some extracurriculars that go on outside yeah. of that in hotels and what have you. So I was I was absolutely most fascinated by Curie's story because it was um it was so salacious and I just like I needed I wanted to know everything. Yeah. I also I was also really intrigued by Miho's story. Me too. I liked that she went to New York. I felt like yeah. I probably related to her the most. Yeah. Like I was very interested in her um I guess maybe less in her, but in the people she surrounded herself by in New York who are all like very wealthy Korean expats. Yeah, like the scenes of the parties and things, like that was really interesting to me. Who did you like the most or who were you most interested in? I was most interested in Cutie and and Miho. I was least interested probably in Wana. Me too. I was I, I was, was kinda... least interested in her and I also realized when I reread this book to put together this outline that she also probably gets the least airtime. She absolutely gets the least airtime. At times I was like why is she, why is she um a main character, whereas Sujin is not. So I actually read an interview with the author where she talked about how originally she had written these as short stories. Oh. And so they were interconnected. They were like loosely connected short stories. And I do think that Wana's, the theme of Wana's story is interesting in that she really represents Korean attitudes around um, having children and getting married and kind of like the overall cultural hesitance to have children because it's expensive and like changing attitudes around marriage. Yeah. Um, so I did think that that was interesting. I just wasn't particularly interested in her. Yes, I agree. 
Um, so let's go back to room salons. Yes. Had you heard of this? No. Me either. I thought that first of all, the actual going on in the room salon was interesting, but I what I felt was more interesting was like the behind the scenes where Kirti was going to get a professional blowout and makeup every day. Every day. And I, I thought it was so interesting that she had an assigned hairstyle. Yes. So I guess the she madam. Gets loose waves. She got loose waves. The madam was like, they can't all have the same hairstyle. So like everyone gets what one that they can have. Yeah. And I also thought that the um, the loan system behind it, I mean, that was really depressing, but it was also really, really interesting. So it's basically like a kind of indentured servitude where you get sucked into it and they give you these loans so that you can get plastic surgery and or maintain your appearance, but then you can never pay it off. So Kyrie was actually like in a pretty plum position because one of her clients had paid off her debt for her versus the rest of the girls are kind of just like trapped in this cycle forever because they can't make enough money to pay off their debts. I thought it was interesting too how she was receiving all these really expensive gifts from her suitors and then turning around and selling them to like make ends meet. Well, I thought that was interesting too because even though she's kind of the most um, salacious character in terms of like it seemed like she had worked in sex work at at one point, mm-hmm. though not anymore. She's, you know, very – she's the one who's into plastic surgery and guiding Sujin on it. And um, you would expect her to be, I don't know, like the bad one kind of. But meanwhile, she's the one who's the most, like, filial. And she's sending all of her money home to her mom, who, yeah. granted, doesn't know what she does. But – um you know, she's very like traditionally minded in terms of being good with her money, whereas the other girls that she worked with, it sounds like we're just like blowing it all. Yeah. And she she's scrappy too. And she also I felt like in the beginning of the book when Sujin wanted to get the plastic surgery so bad, um, Kitty kind of came across as like snobbish and unhelpful but like you, she didn't want to like share the yeah. in, the inside knowledge but you realize she just didn't want to see Susan go down the same path that she had I liked that evolution too yeah well let's talk about plastic surgery it was such a dominant theme throughout the book we're going to talk about it more with the author tomorrow but I don't know I was just like looking up these different surgeries left and right as we were doing it um I was sending you pictures it was funny at one point I like sent her like a few different pictures that I'd found on the internet and Becca was like I see you've started the book (laughs) it I mean the first chapter was just a one-two punch like it was like let's talk about extreme plastic surgery and potentially prostitution and I was Mm -hmm. like sold but I don't know it was so interesting just like the casualness and the the acceptedness where it wasn't just like oh I'm thinking about plastic surgery it was like oh, yeah, of course I'm going to get plastic surgery. Well, we talk about it with Francis tomorrow, but Francis brought up the idea of the U.S. and braces, the way, like, every kid gets braces, and it is it is invasive. Like, I had a, um, a, a tooth that was stuck up in my gums. I couldn't get it Ooh. down. So I got braces. I got a hook put on that thing. I, they dragged it down. I had a, um, a piece of gum in between my two front teeth that was pushing them apart and causing them to have a gap. And then I had like a – it's called a phrenectomy to get that piece of gum oh, removed. Like the shit I went through to have like nice teeth now as an adult, like it's kind of the same pain level as plastic surgery would be. Yeah. And it, and they talk about also how, so normal. how young the girls are where yeah. at one point they talk about how in Ara and Sujin's class – like half the girls got their eyes done in high school. It's to literally get double braces. eyelid surgery. And the only ones who didn't, it wasn't because they were like, no, I'm fine the way I am. It was just like they couldn't afford it. Yeah. It was just like such like an accepted thing. Yeah. I really loved how um they she she really chronicled Sujin's recovery and it just sounded horrible. Like I remember her talking about like the eating and like bits of food getting like stuck also how long the recovery is like how long was it it was months it was I think like six months was the short was like the short end of it and then it was like two years to yeah because your jaw still recovered it doesn't completely work afterwards even when you're healed yeah yeah it was wild and she and 
it was really interesting that it was portrayed largely positively. Like Kyori and Sujin both were like, Kyori at one point says like, getting jaw surgery was the best thing I ever did. So it's like positively impacting their lives and they're 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 not regretting it. But in the same time, like the lengths they're going to in terms of like taking out loans from these sketchy places and going through two years of recovery, it's just like, I don't know. It's so it's so fascinating to me because I can't I I can't picture myself being able to deal with a two year recovery from surgery. No. I mean, no, I, I like think I no. On a on a lighter note, though, have, have you gone through a K beauty phase? Um, not really. I think that like a little like in terms of I remember when I discovered Essence, but that was like so long ago that, and that was more of a Japanese thing because it was um, it's both yeah. But when I learned about it, it was because I was working for Procter and Gamble and they had just bought an SK two, which is a a Japanese brand, but, um, I've always loved an elaborate skincare routine, but I didn't go through like a K-beauty stage. I did. I went through a really big K-beauty phase. Really? Yeah. Like when I discovered Soko Glam, which is like a website where you can get, um, Korean skincare products in the U.S. and like Peach and Lily, I got really into it and, um, just like researching the, uh, like the different innovations because the thing that's so interesting that I learned through that is like just the pace of innovation in Korea on beauty is so much faster because there's like a really voracious market and it's a really educated consumer base. Mm -hmm. So educated about beauty, not like educated in terms of like other types of education. So they're just like finding new ingredients, like the products are changing every couple of years, like there's a ton of cutting edge tech versus like, I don't know, like I, I'm, this is a weird example, but it's like a lot of women are like, oh, like my mom used Olay um, cream and, and I use the same cream. And it's like in Korea, it's like, no, you need the new next yeah. most cutting edge high tech thing. Like if your mom used it in Korea, like they don't want it. Yeah. <laughs> so I was, um, I got really into Korean beauty and I used to work. So when we worked at Bobble Bar, and we and when I worked at Lola, we were both in both times like kind of near K Town in New York. So you could go to the there's like a few beauty stores there. I um, remember going to that store and getting all the different sheet masks. Oh yeah. And I did I did go through a stage with the snail extract because snail extract was like really big ingredient for like I think for a regeneration. Yeah, I'm I'm not really into um paper sheet masks but I got really into the hydrogel ones that are yeah. like um I don't know how to explain the material it's like it's like stretchy slime. stretchy plastic kind of that you like yeah. put on your face and it stays there it's like gel yeah it, it slips a little bit less than yeah a sheet mask I got does. really into those those are good um but yeah I thought that that was this was really interesting to read about the other side of it which you know there's a lot of emphasis placed on beauty and you know in the U.S. that comes to us as like beauty products, but then in Korea, it's also complemented by by plastic surgery and like this like maniacal, not maniacal, but like this like very intense need for perfection. Yes. Like, have you ever read about glass skin? Yes. Like all over YouTube, like it's a whole thing. Yeah. Like the standard is like to have glass skin. Yeah. Which is, it's, I mean, th- it's just it's so it's it's such an unrealistic beauty standard right I thought that it was something that was very fascinating to me especially after talking to Francis was that Korea is so ahead of the times with health with doctors and plastic surgery and um just and beauty and science and all of that but it seems like they're really backwards when it comes to mental health um, and that, you know, therapy was just kind of like this taboo thing. So like one of those things was that Juana went to a therapist in college. And I thought what was so interesting about that was that it was really transactional. Like it wasn't even like she went to get help. It was that she she stopped going to her classes and said she wanted to drop out. So her father found this American style or Western style therapist and he wanted to go so he could pay somebody and then like because he was paying them she could go to one session it would be like fixed yeah it was looked at so it was like very band-aid-y mm-hmm. 
Like, oh, you're going to do this one thing and it's going to fix it. Just like if you get a pimple, like you put this patch on it and it's fixed. Yeah. And then later in the book, Juana is at a doctor's appointment because she um, is pregnant and she's talking about her fear that something is wrong with the baby and it's suggested to her that maybe she should go to therapy again. And she right away is like completely dismissive because um, if she goes to therapy, she will get kicked off she won't be able to be insured which is wild to me wild yeah totally wild and then also the other thing about mental health was just like the casualness with which Curie talks about suicide yes like, oh my gosh it was so it was just so casual it was so casual and almost as if it was like an inevitability and it didn't seem to me that she was portrayed as being like having severe mental health issues so much as it seemed that this was representative of the culture. Mm -hmm. And I was looking it up um, just to understand what were the rates of suicide and the rates of alcoholism in South Korea. They're both very, very high. Because also like like the amount of drinking they do and the way that they talk about drinking is like very extreme. So I was just like, I wonder what, where this falls. And I can't remember what the I don't want to like give a stat because I can't remember, but yeah, um, I thought that that was fascinating. I agree. And what about the whole? I feel like there was so much jealousy within the girls' different dynamics. Oh yeah, I mean, I think that that was kind of one of the biggest interconnected themes. Like, I feel like each girl kind of had their own like a hang thing. Yeah, like it was like you know, Otto was um, obsessed with this boy band like k-pop and she kind of like represented that and then kyori was like this like plastic surgery and room salon culture and then like wana was kind of like representing the attitudes about motherhood and and getting married and then miho was um kind of like representing like class struggle and um like upward mobility and and kind of like i don't know i I feel like she was like looked down on a lot by her boyfriend's rich family and um I feel like the way that they were all interconnected was that they were all like jealous of each other. Like there was so much, really only Sujin was happy yeah. with what she was getting and everyone else was just like super, super jealous. Like Kyuri was really jealous of Sujin and Ara's, Ada's friendship. And it was almost as if she was friends with them, not because she like liked them or found them interesting. She was just like, oh, like they're close. I I want that. She wanted that closeness. Yeah. But then meanwhile, Sujin was so jealous of Kyori's looks. Yeah. And I feel like Kyori was so just um, disinterested because Sujin like valued her looks so much. But then meanwhile, Kyori, who'd had all this plastic surgery, was jealous that Miho had natural uh, – she hadn't had any surgery, even her eyelids done, and she like didn't do anything to her hair, and she was jealous of her natural beauty. Yes. Um, and then meanwhile, looking at – all of them from afar was Juana, who was jealous of all of their freedom. Yeah, like she felt tied down by her her marriage yeah. and impending motherhood. And she was jealous that they were just like ordering fried chicken at one in the morning or like coming and going as they pleased. Yes. The only one who didn't seem to have a jealous hang up was Miho. Well, maybe a little over Ruby. Yeah, that's I felt true. like Ruby, her best friend. Um, I mean, it's weird because then she date- starts dating her best friend's her dead best friend's boyfriend. Um, I thought maybe that could be. Yeah, that could be. I was trying to think in the group of the other four girls. Not in the group, I don't think. Yeah, but you're right. I think outside. Yeah. She wasn't immune from it either. Yeah. Let's talk more about, I want to talk more about Juana's um, plot line and kind of like the attitudes about family and marriage and having children and also abandoning children because it kind of intersects with the fact that Miho and Sujin were both raised in an orphanage. And in Miho's case, she was abandoned by her aunt and uncle um, who were raising her because her parents kind of like, it sounds like, it sounded like they were, had problems with like alcohol or, or something and they kind of just like pieced. Mm-hmm. And then she was being raised by her aunt and her uncle. And then they, she had an older cousin and that cousin was really smart. And then the um, the aunt got pregnant with another child. And they were like, oh, yeah, like we we can't have this 
this niece of ours anymore. Yeah, so they just, like, dropped her off at an orphanage. Yes, like, I I can't even fathom that that happened. Like, the casualness of it where it was just like, oh, like, we're just going to opt out here. Yeah. And then, meanwhile, like, you have Juana who's talking about how her grandmother brought her to an orphanage as a threat. (laughs) Yeah, like, she was just like, and I want to say it was a branch of the same orphanage where it was like her grandmother was mad at her. So she just like brought her to the steps and she was like, don't make me ring the bell or I'm just going to abandon you. Yes. That reminds me of like, sometimes I take Tyrion outside and I'm like, if you're bad, yeah. I'm going to just leave you here. I, w- I never would. So it seemed like, you know, there's this facet of culture where it didn't seem out of the, ordinary to abandon children and then meanwhile Juana is pregnant and she's like obsessed with how much money it's going to cost to have a child which I think probably you know anyone can relate to yes but like she's so concerned with her husband's income and like it doesn't even sound like she really wants to have the child because she's like we can never afford this yeah it it was just I think that Americans in general are like friends of mine are like oh yeah like you know, having a kid is expensive and it's always acknowledged, but it was really, um, it was just taken so much more seriously and I felt like it was something that they were a lot more thoughtful about. And then Curie is like completely dismissive of ever getting married or having children. Like she's like, oh my God, like no way. Yeah. Like I would never. Yeah. And it was, it's sad in the book that like um, South Korea has like the, is having a national crisis because nobody's having children. Like, the population yes. is shrinking. Yes. And, like, nobody is getting married, which is really interesting because I feel like, I mean, I guess compared to past decades, there's probably less pressure in the U.S., but I do still feel like, you know, like, you go through that phase where it's, like, all of your friends are getting married and it's, like, to not be married is to be other in some ways here yes. still. And it was so interesting to hear these girls who were – who are 22 and 23 in the book, and um, Ada and Sujin are like, oh, my God, getting married in your 20s is stupid. Mm-hmm. Like, I think they straight up say that at one point. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I mean, I, I thought that was kind of wise of them, but you also have to remember, like, what horrible – not horrible, but kind of horrible childhoods they had and the fact that, like, yeah. they were so easily dismissed and treated badly. But I guess that's kind of at odds with the beauty culture because it's like – Getting married in your 20s is stupid, but then... You better look like you're in your 20s for the rest of your life. I was just going to say. Otherwise, you should kill yourself. Yeah, but then, like, also aging doesn't seem acceptable either. So it's like, if you wait until your 30s to get married, like, then what are your prospects like? Oh, it's it's de- desolate. Then you, yeah. It I don't was, know. It was really interesting. It felt very... Um, it felt very depressing to me in a lot of ways, and it felt... It made me feel grateful for a lot of the ways that things that we've become so accepting of things here like if you, you can be considered attractive well into your 40s and 50s like you're I don't know um children are valued and not abandoned um well I mean the other thing to your point earlier is that it does also sound like none of these women came from strong I don't want to say normal because what's normal but healthy families yeah um like even Wana is excited one of the things that attracted to her to her husband was that his mother was dead because she had such a bad relationship with her own mother yes. that she was it was a plus for her that he didn't have a mother. Yes. So even Wana, who was not raised in an orphanage or, you know, Kyori actually is the closest with her mother, but her mother doesn't know anything about her life. Like it doesn't seem like any of them have particularly tight familial relationships. And as we talk to Frances, tomorrow she was saying to us that it's really common in Korea that you actually live with your parents until you get married. So Mm -hmm. it seems like, you know, in some ways family was less valuable to these people because – They didn't have that anchor. Yeah. 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 So that might not be totally um, representative. Yeah. And, I mean, the other thing is, like, I guess it's – not struggling, but, you know, I've never read another book about contemporary Korea. So, you know, it's hard to compare and contrast. And, and I'm trying to keep in my head that it's like it's not monolithic in terms of like this experience is everyone's experience, mm-hmm. you know. Exactly. Wait, let's shift gears a little bit and talk about Miho and Hanbin's relationship. Oh, yeah. Let's. 
Did you think it was weird that they got together? Super effing weird. Like who goes after their <laughs> their dead best friend's boyfriend? Well, the I mean, seed was planted because they'd like made out, it sounded like, before Ruby died. Yes. So it wasn't totally out of left field, but it was like, oh, wow, that seems... I don't know. That seems like it would raise some eyebrows if, although, I, I mean, I don't want to like talk about tabloidy things, but you know that Hunter Biden is was with Bo Biden's ex-wife, not ex-wife, his wife before when he died. Oh, I did know that. Yeah, yeah and they have a baby together, but I don't think they're together anymore. So I guess it's like. Sometimes grief brings people together. I was in just a gonna say, way. I was like, like it, there's coping. examples in American culture, like you can't say that like this is accepted there and not accepted here. Yeah, I've definitely read seen movies where it happens too, and I can't think of what. Besides that weirdness, until things went very wrong in the like towards the like the last third of the book, it felt like they had a really good relationship and that he was a good guy. It did. And he was she was pushing him away. Yeah. And he wanted to see her artwork mm-hmm. and support her. And she was like no, don't come to my studio. No, I'll meet you somewhere. Don't come to my apartment. Like she was yes. very much like, stay out of my life. Yes. I did love her revenge plan though. So Becca wrote this outline and she put the enti- like an entire paragraph. That I she's did. Going, are you going to read this I'm going to the read people? the paragraph. I loved this. Are you going to, do you have this on a post-it note back up in your apartment written on like your lined paper? No, I mean, I don't, nobody has wronged me like this. I know, but. It's, nobody of means has wronged me. If, if there's any men who might want to date Becca listening to this podcast, which is, this is mostly women. I was going to say, it's like our audience is 100% women. Don't wrong her because this is dramatic. Well, yeah. And I'm like, read it with Read it with vengeance, Becca. Okay. So she finds out that her boyfriend is cheating on her. And um, I think Curity asks her if she's going to break up with him. And she's like, no. She's like, I will ask him to buy me jewelry. I will ask him to buy out my exhibition so that I can land another from the press on that alone. I will leak to the women's magazines the thick Bibles of paparazzi photos of the rich and famous that he is my boyfriend. I will build myself up so high in such a short time that when he leaves me, I will become a lightning storm, a nuclear apocalypse. I will not come away from this with nothing. And she seemed so just like meek and nonchalant through a lot of the, like she was like the artist that was like naturally beautiful and seemed such so... I don't know, like not capable of this kind of a revenge plot. I mean, she was. It also didn't seem like she was super upset about him cheating. Like it almost seemed like she was he was confirming something that she assumed would eventually happen. Yes. Like she was like, I'm with him, but this is not. I'm below his station and he won't stay with me. So she was like, I expected this. And now I'm going to, instead of being sad about it, I'm just going to turn around and manipulate the hell out of him. Mm-hmm. Which I respect. Yeah. I don't know. I, I want to talk about the role of men in this book because, wow, there were really no good men in this book. You're totally right. I didn't think about that until I was looking at your notes. There's no good men here. Well, you you kind of think that Juana's husband is going to be a good man because he is he wants to come to her doctor's appointments. And she's like, no, don't do that. And like, you know, he's like, let's buy stuff for the baby. And she's like, no. Uh, and he kind of seems like this very doting loving husband and then it come to find out he's been lying to her for weeks that he lost his job yeah and like hiding it from her yeah Ugh. and, and then Humbin is held up to be like this good guy but he's not yeah he's cheating on her with Curie's friend who's mm-hmm. an escort and then Curie's boyfriend who I was never really held up to be great but Bruce um he like sees her at this restaurant which on the one hand she shouldn't have done that but but also she was very she didn't do anything she was just there she, just she wanted there. to see she which he didn't know but she should have worn a disguise she didn't do anything like she didn't try to talk to him there she didn't um yeah. i don't know she didn't do anything but then he sees her there and he's like oh no like i'm taking you down like yeah. i'm sending the police to your place of work i am like getting you arrested like he seems, and that was upsetting to me because he obviously had the upper hand and had the money and the stability and the family and the connections. And this poor woman really doesn't have much and is working in a room salon. And 
like for him to like he clearly didn't care about her at all to like just go after her in that way yeah he didn't need to do that yeah it really upset me I know so upon rereading this book I realized something which I probably should have realized the first time but I didn't because I was just so sucked in and enraptured by this but I realized there's not really a lot of plot in this book like nothing is really happening no, there isn't. But I think that for me, what really drew me in was besides the salaciousness and yeah. like just like the learning. Like I, I said this to Francis, but I had my laptop like balanced on my stomach for half of the time I was reading this because I was like looking up different things like room salons and jaw surgery and double eyelid and all of the things. But um, was the relationships between the girls. Yes. Especially Sujin and Ada. Like I felt like that one that their relationship and the way they were so protective towards of each other and so loving towards each other that really warmed my heart I also think a lot of the plot was backward looking where at the beginning you come in and Ara and Sujin and Kyori are all in their apartment and they're talking about plastic surgery and you find out that Kyori works in a room salon and you're kind of like judgmental at the beginning because you're like oh like yeah who are these quote unquote dumb girls yeah and um I think you know for me what was most interesting was finding out their histories to find out what made them that way and also like why they made these decisions and like how they felt about their lives and their decisions yes because there's really I mean there's no overarching plot that like binds the book like there's a couple small plots like Kyori and her boyfriend is one plot and like Sujin trying to become a room service girl and like Miho and her boyfriend um, and Ada and the, the boy bander. Like they all have like a mini plot, but like there's really no beginning, middle, end. Yes. That binds them all together. And I tend to read more plot driven books. Like the writing can be bad and the relationships can be medium, but if there's like a really juicy plot, like that's what somebody gets murdered. But I got really drawn into this. Me too. How did you feel about the ending? I feel okay about it. Um, I don't know. How did you feel? Didn't love it. I <laughs> felt like uh, – so the ending, if, if you didn't read this or you read this a while ago, um, is super abrupt. Like basically everything seems to start to like turn around for the girls and then basically they come home and Juana's on the steps and she's like, hey, want to come over? You can like drink my husband's whiskey. And they're like, yeah, let's order fried chicken. And like, it's the end. Yes. Like, it didn't feel like it had, I, I, like, I almost wanted to see good things happen for these girls. Like, I wanted to see Miho get her revenge. I wanted to see Kyuri leave the room salon and get this job. Like. Yeah. And I think it just had left it open to our imagination and hope that they. Yeah. And I wanted, I wasn't ever really sure if Ara was mute because of mental reasons or, or because of physical reasons so I know, like I wanted her to start talking I was yeah I was like oh is she gonna find her voice again because it was not it was never clear why she couldn't talk or if she just was ha- having PTSD or, or something that she was blocked from talking but not like physically unable yeah so yeah I wanted like more resolution and I kind of thought that it seemed like maybe she was teeing up for a second book but I don't think that's the case yeah I think it's more the case that they started off as short stories that all kind of like interconnected versus being one big story. Mm-hmm. But as I always say, like I hated the ending of Fleischman is in trouble, but I overall really liked the book where for me with literary fiction, like with fluffy rom-coms or like steamy romances or, you know, high school YA or whatever, like the plot is really important and like the ending is really important. If I don't get a satisfying ending, I'm upset. Yes. But with more literary fiction, I do feel like there's books where I can totally not like the ending, but still really enjoy and want to recommend the book. Yes. I felt the same way about this. Like I've been telling everyone I know that they need to read it, but it's so not a grace book to recommend because the way that you feel about a romantic ending or something I need that like that knife in the gut twist yeah and obviously like I didn't really love the end I was okay with, with the ending I but it wasn't like I don't know um have you read any other books about Korea or Korean American culture so I think you know we both read to all the boys I loved yes um Anna Kay has some references to it I had to go back and look up my notes on the book because I was like was that 
was that a different Asian culture? Um, and it was the parents were Korean American and they put a lot of really, um, like high stakes pressure on the kids because of that. But I think that's it. I haven't read anything set in Korea. I don't think I've read anything else set in Korea. Um, I know Pachinko is set in Korea, but that's set in Korea in like the 19... 19- Did you read that? No. I've heard it's great. I've heard amazing It's historical things. fiction. So it's like it's set in yeah. the early 1900s or I don't, I don't know if I'm getting that right. Um, but you know what I did read recently is I read Yoke by Mary H.K. Choi. I can't wait to read that. It's at the top of my to read pile. Really good. It's about um, a Korean American family. Um, and the family moves to Korea when the girls are young, like elementary school age. But, um, you know, they're first generation living in the United States. And, and so like their Korean heritage is still very prevalent in the way that I don't really feel like it wasn't Anna Kay necessarily. Yeah. Um, it was super interesting. Uh, trigger warning on eating disorders for that book. So if that is something that is triggering for you, avoid it. But um, I thought it was phenomenal. And I especially thought that the family relationship between the sisters and the relationship with her parents was really, really interesting. Yeah. What about other books where there's just like a great portrayal of contemporary life in another country? So that's what I want more of. I I was thinking and I was like, I feel like this book is such an anomaly in that it is like a slice of life in another country in contemporary times. Like I feel like a ton of that exists in historical fiction, mm-hmm. but less so in contemporary fiction. And like the only ones I can come up with, like in some ways Destination Wedding, even though she's experiencing it as an outsider, but you know, the portrayal of her cousins and um, her family that lives in India, like you kind of get a slice of life. Yeah. Um, and then, I mean, Crazy Rich Asians, but that's so um, out there in terms of the type of person and the wealth of the person that they're portraying when it, it's not really as – it's not the norm. Yeah. I was thinking about White Ivy, which I don't think you read. It mm-hmm. was – um, it's like a more of a suspense type of thriller. And that um, goes back and forth between the U.S. and China. So there was like definitely some bits about China in there that I thought were fascinating. I I would be very curious for any recommendations that anyone else has. That's a book that's, you know, a slice of life outside, in contemporary if, yeah, times. And outside of the UK, because Lord knows we both read a lot of British chiclet. Yeah. I mean, I feel like there's so many that are yeah. in Europe, but non-European yeah. cultures. Agree. Shall we get out of this book and into some end matter? Let's do it. I see that we have the same Instagram obsession. Should we rocks, paper, scissors? Or like, how do should we, we do, do this? It? Well, I think on the count of three, we should say it together. No, just say it. You guys, <laughs> Anna Delvey is out of prison. And like, I think our whole, Becca and my whole text exchange is all about Anna. Do you feel, I feel really conflicted about. I feel worried. Oh, no, it's not that. I'm worried feel, about her. I feel conflicted about like how much attention I'm paying to her and it's like oh I'm rewarding her for behaving badly for behaving badly and I can't fucking look away and I'm so into it and like it, I, I don't know like it, I don't know what she's doing next like I think there's a Netflix show about her life and I don't know if she's involved in it I don't she had a magazine shoot yesterday but I'm like I want to know everything I want to know everything I, I stalk her Twitter I don't even really use Twitter but I'm always looking at her Twitter her Instagram it's it's a wild ride. It's a wild ride. I'm so into it. I don't know how I feel about being so into it, but I can't stop myself. I can't stop. Oh, man, Grace. It is. It's it's something. It is. It's truly something. I'm glad we're on this ride together. Yeah. I'm also glad she's on Instagram now because for a while when she first got out of prison, it seemed like she was going to make Twitter her thing. And I was like, oh, I'm not going to get on Twitter for this. Yeah. I was I was in a, on Twitter for it. Oh. <sighs> Oh my gosh. What about non-Instagram obsessions? Do you have one? No. We I, both left this blank. No. I, I mean, I've just been too busy with my giant 750-page book to be obsessed with anything else. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah. I don't know what I've been doing. What have you been reading? Um, So this morning I finished up Untamed by Glennon Doyle. What are you going to do without your bestie Glennon? I think I might listen to it again. <laughs> you should read Love Warrior. I think I'm going to have a hard time with it because I knew that, know now that her marriage ended. Yeah, but she still learns lessons from it that made her who she is. That's true. Maybe I will. Um, 
So I read. Because even in real time, the, she decided that she was leaving her husband right before the book came out. So everyone reading it knows that she doesn't end up with him. They don't know that she ends up with Abby necessarily, but. Yeah. Um, well, I loved it. Maybe I will read Love Warrior. Um, I read in like in one day, I read Too Good to Be True by Carola Levering, um, which this was a contender for our what month? March, March book club pick. And we, we ultimately chose a different book, but it's so good. It, like, so Carola Levering wrote, tell me lies. Ashley Spivey told us to read that. And that book changed my life and that it made me stop dating unavailable or like, it made me just like see men that were like really distant or like kept you at arm's length or treated you badly. Like it stopped making me like, be like, I can change them or Oh, like seeing them as the acting that way because they were just like too good for me or too busy. It made me see like their flaws. And I just think it was such a good book. And so this one I read, it's totally different. It's a thriller. The other one was not a thriller. It was like suspenseful because, but it was more about this relationship. So I read online, you should go into it knowing as little as possible. Yeah. Is that true? Yeah. Okay. There, it's very. Then don't even tell people. It's very twisty. I don't even want to tell you what it's about. So I'm just gonna say that it's great. Okay, because I, I know a tiny bit because I read a little bit of the description before I read that. Just like know nothing. Going I'm so into curious it. as to if you're gonna like it, but um, it's out. I think it's out March second. I see. really enjoyed it. Um, and then I started. This was another book club contender, which I want you all to read this book because I'm half. I'm, I'm only halfway through. You finished it. I finished it, yeah. But it's Detransition Baby by Tori Peters, and this one is about a trans couple, two trans women who break up, and one of them detransitions back to being a man and starts dating a cisgender woman, um, and gets her pregnant, and then the three of them decide to raise the child together, and that's. The, I'm only halfway through, so I don't know what happens. But this book, we decided not to make it our book club pick only because I think it would be hard for us to talk about it because we're, we both, like, felt very out of our element. Like, there's just a lot discussed that I didn't even know about. Like, again, I found myself Googling and just I, – I had never heard of somebody detransitioning, for example. And I've never read a book where the main character is trans. I realized that, too. I've definitely read books around trans people. Um, for instance, uh, what is the Lori Frankel book about? It's like a mid- Midwestern family and they have a trans child. Um, well, I haven't read that. Oh, I was thinking it of. But it's very much in the lens of like um, coming out and acceptance rather than like living your life. I was thinking of um, The Vanishing Half where one of the main one of the characters oh that's true was trans and like we like that I learned a lot from too like the surgery and the hormone replacement therapy um but this book is excellent so far it's definitely like a harder read like it's not light and breezy but I think I really think it's important to read books where the main character has a totally different worldview and perspective as you do like but yeah, it's 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 a it's fascinating so far. What do you think? I know that we're in, th- those are my books, so we can move on to yours. But so I finished Detransition Baby, um, and I I thought it was fascinating. I thought that I learned a lot about trans history that I didn't know about. Uh, this author clearly had a lot of preferences in terms of terminology, and um, also like talked a lot about microaggressions towards main character so yeah you know I feel like I just I learned a ton um and I was also like it wasn't just like a take your medicine book where I was like I learned a ton but it was a hard book like I was like so deeply into the plot mm-hmm. and the storyline and I was like need to know what happens yes. so it was I mean it was really fantastic so I finished that really enjoyed it then I started Transcendent Kingdom by Yaa Jossie and um, this is the same author who wrote Homegoing, which was one of my favorite books that I read last year. It was very late to that party. Um, and so this book deals with a woman who is in, uh, she's getting her PhD in neuroscience, and she's working through research on addiction. And um, her brother died of a heroin overdose when she was uh, young. And so 
she it, it has a lot to do with addiction. It also has to do with grappling with religion versus science. Um, it's very good so far. Um, however, I am usually not a polyamorous book reader. Mm-hmm. I don't – I read one book at a time. Yeah. However, then – a something quart happened. Of, something happened. Becca got good mail. A Court of Silver Flames by Sarah J. Moss, which is the fourth book in the Court of Thorns and Roses series, came out on Tuesday. This and is the fairy erotica. This is the fairy erotica. I was actually really pissed off because I pre-ordered it, and it was supposed to come Tuesday, and it didn't. It came Wednesday. So I started that. It is huge. It is like 750 pages. It is a monster of a book. Um, but I needed to start it right away. So I'm going to go back to Transcendent Kingdom and, and please don't take it as any um, any reflection on the book, but like I needed to I needed yeah. to switch. So I'm reading A Court of Silver Flames. Um, I didn't realize until this week that it isn't about the same characters as the first three books. So the first three books are about Reese and Fairy, and this is about her fairy sister Nesta and Cassian, who are side characters in the other book. And they kind of like flip-flop, so they're the main characters. And then the characters who are the main characters in the past books are side characters now. It's very good. There's a lot of hot sex. There's less war, which honestly is like a plus on my side. We don't need books about war right now. Well, they're always going to war. There's a lot of like wars in the fairy kingdoms. Okay. So, um, yeah, so far there's like a lot less war and just a lot more like sexy intrigue, which I'm into. I love that. I I truly – I have such a love-hate relationship with this author in this book. Like, do you remember when we were in Dallas for our live shows last year? Two years ago? Whenever. Whatever. When time I, what's it time? definitely wasn't last year because last year we were starting to get locked down again. Anyway, when we were in Dallas and I just, like, I couldn't do anything except for read these books. It was all I wanted to do. Yeah. And – um. I just I get so into them that it takes over my life. So on the one hand, I'm like deeply enjoying this, but on the other hand, I'm like I can't wait to be done so that I can like do other things. <laughs> Is that a weird feeling? A little, and I think it's funny because you keep trying to get me to read the first one, and um, I'm scared. I just don't think I'm in a place where I have the free time to to just like devote my whole life to a book. Well, that's what I've been saying to people who've told me that they've read it during quarantine where I'm like, this is the perfect time to just get sucked away into another life. Yeah. Another world. So anyway, I'm really enjoying it, but I'm I'm a little hateful towards the number that it's doing on my motivation and my schedule. Amazing. So that's where I am. But if you want a great book to read – um, we're so excited to share what our March book club pick is. And it's so first of all, like, I guess I'll just say we ended up choosing The Midnight Library by Matt Haig. This was for both of us one of the best books that we've read all year long. We love this book. We just feel like we can have such a great conversation about this book, especially around regret. I will say there is a trigger warning for suicide. So if that's a thing for you, like please don't read this book, skip this one and you know, maybe go back and peruse the archives. Yeah, I think there was a, a conversation in our Facebook group, which you can go on and find, um, where there were some people who um, did not feel like this book represented their experience with suicidal ideation and suicide attempts. Um, the author does have a history with suicide and mental health, and um, that's kind of the entry point for the book. The whole book is not necessarily about suicide. Um, basically, the plot is uh, a woman uh is unhappy with her life and uh, attempts suicide and goes to this purgatory where it's a library and she can select any book that basically is the other branch of any decision she's ever made. Mm-hmm. So she can go live any life that she like didn't all these pursue. Different alternate worlds that could have been if and she had gone down them. It's very much about regret and about what will make you happy and um, – and, and that, for me, was something that I I found really fascinating and yeah. thought-provoking in my own life. So um, read along with us if you'd like to. If not, no hard feelings. Skip this one. Yeah. And we're excited to talk to you about it the last Wednesday in March. Yes. Um, but in the meantime, stay warm. It's been so cold if you're up here. Um, and 
we will see you next week. Um, and if you want more of us, join the Facebook group, Bad on Paper Podcast. Follow us on Instagram, also Bad on Paper Podcast. I'm on Instagram at Grace Atwood, and I have a blog called The Stripe, which is thestripe.com, and I have new posts up every day. And I'm on Instagram at Becca M. Freeman, and my other podcast is called Rom-Com Pods, and I would love for you to check it out. All right. Bye, everyone. Bye, guys. Oh, 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 o